Hey, what's up? I am John Ricard. This is Camera Work Podcast. You can find me on Instagram, J-O-H-N-R-I-C-A-R-D. I also created a second Instagram account recently called Camera Work NYC. So that's Camera Work NYC. That's for like all my Leica street photography. So if you're interested in that kind of work, please check it out. So we're going to talk about a few things today. And I thought Instagram was like a really good place to start. As recently, I decided to start doing Instagram stories. Now, this is something that I was personally avoiding for a while because to me, it doesn't make sense to create content that only lasts 24 hours. It's like you, you create this story all day and the next day it's gone. No one can see it. It doesn't make sense. It's like going up to Michael Jackson and, you know, he comes up to you and he says, yeah, I wrote this great song called Thriller. And you're like, OK, let me hear it. And then he says, oh, yeah, I erased it. I erased it a day later. It just makes no sense to me. And like my daughter was on Snapchat and, you know, I would see her doing all these Snapchats and I would say to her, like, why would you create content that's going to get deleted? It makes no sense. But I've kind of dropped that objection, partially because there's a point where I feel like I sort of almost have to follow the crowd. Like that's the norm. The content is getting deleted after 24 hours. That's just the way it is. Just go with it and don't fight it. Don't be stubborn. Don't be a stick in the wind. Don't be that guy standing there trying to be a film photographer in a digital age, you know? So I just go, I embrace it. But I think another thing that occurs to me is like anything that we don't have seems to be super valuable. So it's like if we only have a handful of like, say, live videos of, let's say, Malcolm X, well, each one of those videos are very valuable. But like today where there's so much content, like if I'm producing a video every single day for Snapchat or Instagram stories, are they really that valuable? In three years, that's going to be over 1,000 finished pieces of video. And by finished, I mean each story might be seven or eight or 10 little clips. So you count up each clip. I don't know, maybe you're creating like 10,000s of pieces of content in just three or four years. So there's so much content. It's like... Who cares if it gets deleted, really, man? Especially when you're creating other content as well. Like when I'm doing a snap, no, I'm sorry, I'm doing Instagram story. When I'm doing an Instagram story, it's on set of a real shoot. And at that same shoot, I'm doing live Facebook video. And that video does get saved to my phone. And I'm taking photographs that, of course, are going to be saved and archived and seen year after year after year. So it's like it's just these little clips that, maybe aren't being saved. Now, in reality, I do save them because the way I've been doing Instagram stories is I've been filming 10-second video clips and then converting them to black and white and then uploading them to my Instagram story. I kind of like that way better than doing it live. For one thing, I thought black and white could kind of be like my thing that I'm going to try to make all the clips black and white, even though it is an extra step. But um, it, it kind of helps me with the phone. I'm not in love with what the phone does with color sometimes. I'm on the um, iPhone 7. So I think I'd rather just put those up in black and white since I don't have full control over the clips. And sometimes I'm shooting like a five-minute clip and finding the 10-second clip that I want to post on the Instagram story. But I think I'm doing a good job with it, to be honest, even though it's only been a week. One of the things I'm doing with the stories is, first of all, I'm making them into actual stories. I try to make it like, you know, hey, I just woke up, I'm packing the gear, now I'm on the train, I'm on my way to the destination. Hey, I'm just meeting the person that I'm shooting. Hey, here's the first look, here's the second look. Okay, now she's leaving. Something like that where it's a story. But when I look at Instagram stories, I see a ton of stories that they're not stories, they're just little snippets of things, little 
photographs and jokes and things that could have just as easily been put on regular Instagram. They're not, a, they're not again, it's called a story, but these things aren't stories. And another thing that I try to do with it besides making it a story is I try to front load it in the morning. And what I mean is this, or at the start of the story, I think it's annoying if someone does a story and let's say I'm trying to watch the story and there's only one chapter. Like you can't really hook me with one chapter if you just go like, hey, I just woke up, I'm shooting today. So now I got to check back in two hours when you reach the set. It just doesn't make sense to me. I would rather the first time I look at the story, there's four or five chapters right at the start. Hey, I just woke up, just packed the bag, here's the gear, uh, you know, I'm wearing this coat because it's the best coat I've ever gotten, and now I'm on the train and here's the secret way to get a seat on the Q train. Whatever, boom, there's the first five chapters. If those could be the first thing that someone sees together, I feel like you've got a better chance of hooking them into the story. So now throughout the day, they can get chapter seven chapter eight, chapter nine, chapter 10, rather than like chapter one, then chapter two, then chapter three. It's just taking too long to get them in. So what I've been trying to do is when I put the first cl clip up for the day, hopefully clips two, three, four, maybe five are gonna follow relatively quickly. So if you missed it when it first went up, you catch it an hour later, you, got, you have five chapters to look at and then the story can progress, okay? So that's the way I'm trying to do Instagram stories and um, you know, wish me luck with it. I'm doing you know, one thing on a story and a different thing on actual Instagram because Instagram I'm putting more like finished photographs and then the story is the like work in progress of the creation of the those same photographs. So I'm, I'm gonna try to enjoy it, okay? I'm trying to embrace social media a little bit more with each passing like month or whatever. It's, it's a struggle for me. And it's funny, I think it's a struggle for a lot of people because pretty much anyone I speak to says they don't really enjoy social media. And maybe they're just lying like when people say they don't like their job or whatever, but they actually do. But maybe people really don't like it and they just put the work in because they understand that it's sort of a necessary thing today. But um, in any event, I'm trying to embrace it a little bit more and be a little more active on it, all right? So another thing I want to talk about was I recently did a show at my studio. We, I did, I wanted to do like a, a gallery showing of my 10 favorite images of 2016. And it was difficult because on the one hand, I think for a lot of us, it's like we love our work and we hate our work. On the one hand, like you can assemble the initial edit of your 10 favorite images of the year and maybe you've got like 200 images and you're like, how can I possibly narrow this down to 10 images? Sometimes I think they call it like I'm killing your babies or something when you have to do that, how difficult that can be. And then on another hand, you can kind of hate your work at the same time and you're just like, God, I don't even have 10 images that I would be proud of. It can be really difficult. but. As I start started to assemble it, now I shoot a pretty wide variety of things. I am a portrait photographer. That's kind of the one thread through everything that I shoot is that I'm a people photographer, portrait photographer, and I'm always looking for the emotion, whatever that emotion is, whether it's like, you know, sensual or whether that emotion is like anger or whether that angle, uh, emotion is nervousness or confidence. There's a bunch of emotions that I pursue in my work, but I'm always looking for some type of emotion, some type of emotional content, as Bruce Lee said in Enter the Dragon, some kind of emotional connection that the viewer can make with the image. 
So that's a one a thread going through all of the work. But I, I'll take pictures at you know jujitsu matches, and I take pictures in my studio of models, and then I shoot some um, music artists in my studio, and I do executive portraits and. It's just a pretty wide range of things that I shoot. So as I first put together the first edit of the work, there were like six portraits and then like two jujitsu pictures. And there was one photograph that was behind the scenes of a magazine, like a bikini magazine that I photographed. And, you know, it's like a not safe for work kind of photograph. Now, I hadn't really picked exactly which photograph from that session was going to be in the show. I have like 10 or 20 I could have picked that kind of communicated almost the absurdity of what we were shooting. Like here you've got this girl, like a hip hop video model kind of girl with like a big butt, big fake boobs. And then there's like another girl oiling her up. Or maybe it's the similar girl who looks like that. And she's taking a selfie. She's kind of like obsessed with her own look. Or maybe a bunch of people are taking pictures of her while she's on set. Just kind of different commentaries I could make with this work. None of those images were intended to be a sexy photograph. They were intended to be like a commentary on that entire culture of we value this this girl. We value her so much. We have to pay another girl to come and just oil her up. I don't know. It's a whole commentary, whatever. And I realized that what I really needed to do was to narrow it down more. So I ended up showing what I ended up calling it, not the best images, but my favorite images, which was a big distinction right there, my favorite images of 2016, or more accurately, my favorite portrait images of 2016. So that's what I ended up showing, and they were all portraits, and they were all like three-quarter length or closer, kind of like maybe above three-quarter length or closer to to the subject, and they, they just kind of had a cohesion that way. It wasn't like six portraits and then there's like a bikini girl getting oiled down and then there's like two sweaty jujitsu guys you know and nine of the ten were actually shot in my studio only one was a location portrait i was actually kind of glad about that sometimes i feel like i take my best work my best images outside of the studio and that kind of bothers me because i'm spending a fortune on rent in this place but sometimes when i'm looking at other photographers work or i'll see like a makeup artist might ask me to kind of look over her site to tell me to let her know if I think the site is good or what's right or wrong with it. But I don't always see that cohesion in people's work. I'll see a lot of people who will try to categorize, categorize images with like film images or color images or, you know, Leica images. And then they have that, you know, not lack of congruency between the images. So you've got, you know, like I'm saying, the bikini girl and the jujitsu guys and a portrait and it doesn't flow and it's amazing to me that sometimes people don't understand that it, it should flow. And again, so what I did was I made them portrait images, so there was a cohesion to them there. And then even when I displayed them on the wall, there was a certain kind of balance there. Like the, there were three rows. The top row on the far left and the far right had dark images that were just lit with some shadow and kind of like dark tones. And in the middle of the top row were two pictures that were much whiter and vibrant. And then when you went to the middle row, you had that same pattern, dark images on the outside and a lighter image in the middle. And when you got to the bottom row, it was the same thing. The more darker images were on the outside and the lighter images were in the middle. 
So the darker images served as like a bookend to the lighter images, but there was a cohesion to how the entire 10 image spread was displayed. And again, a lot of times I don't see that when I'm looking on even a photographer's website or like I said, a makeup artist or a hair person, it doesn't really occur to them that you need that cohesion. And I think if you're assembling images on your site or maybe even in a show, you really want to give some thought to having a cohesion of how it's presented, whether they see them all 10 at once, like the gallery that I did for this show that I did at my studio, or whether they're clicking them like number one, number two, number three, that there should be some kind of sequence for them. It might be a color sequence that they go from light to dark, or that they go from white to more colorful and then back to white or something. But you can categorize them different ways, like I said, through color, through like the theme or the story of the picture, but it's just something I think um, people should think about that a lot of times I think people aren't thinking about based on what I see when I'm looking at sites, okay? Just one more thing I, I wanted to talk about today that I, I think is funny when I, I visit a decent amount of like camera gear websites. I find that enjoyable, but there's only one that I actually write on, which is a Leica Rumors. It's called LeicaRumors.com, I guess. So I visit that every day, especially now because we're getting close to when they're going to announce the next Leica. It should be January 18th, and I'm doing this on about uh, December 20th, I think it is today. So we're under 30 days away from the next Leica, so I'm visiting that site every day, and I'm commenting on all the threads and stuff. And I think it's interesting to see how some people think, I'm sorry, when people think it's time for them to upgrade or when their current gear is not good enough. I think a lot of people are using a standard that doesn't make sense to me, and I think my standard is different, okay? So let me, let me walk you through this, all right? So I do corporate photography sometimes, and that could be an executive that I've brought in lights and I'm doing a posed photograph, or it could be that I'm just covering like a meeting or something happening in a conference room. Now, my D3S, which is a camera that is phenomenal in low light, and it's the camera that I use for gigs like that, it's a very loud camera. I mean, the shutter is, it, it, it's a deafening shutter, okay? And it's noticeable in the room. And I know that there are times I cannot take pictures with the D3S in that room because it is distracting. And there are even times, like if someone is speaking on like a, like a podium in front of a you know small audience, 20, 30 people in some kind of conference room or meeting room or whatever I'm waiting for like the crowd to laugh when he says a joke and everyone laughs or she says something funny and they all laugh and I'm firing away pop 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 because the laughter is going to cover the sound of my shutter that's how loud the d3s shutter is so I can definitely use a camera with a quieter shutter okay so what does that mean for me now my Leica m240 that I sold recently had a much quieter shutter and the m9 has a quieter shutter than the d3s for me, both of those cameras, the two Leica bodies, are completely fine in that meeting room in terms of how loud they are. They're not completely silent, but my clients, I know, can accept that little of the Leica shutter. It's not too loud. They're going to hear it, but it's not going to be a big enough deal that anyone's going to care. No one's going to be looking at me. They're going to be able to tune that shutter out. Now, there's other reasons that I can't use the Leica in these situations. They're not good enough at low light. They're not good enough in auto light balance. And of course, the buffer is so small that I'm going to hit the buffer and I can't take pictures when I want. But that's not what we're talking about right now. We're talking about what is a quiet enough shutter for me. So for me, a reasonable shutter is the sound of the Leica M240 or even the Leica M9. Those are good enough for me. What I think most people would do, however, is 
instead of looking at the Leica and going, okay, that's quiet enough, that's the tool I'm going to use for meetings, assuming those other problems about the buffer and light balance and stuff are solved, they're going to say, you know, Sony has a completely quiet camera. I could buy an A6500, it's 100% silent. Or I can buy like a Fuji, I guess it's X-T2 or even X-100T. And those cameras can do like an electronic shutter. They are 100% silent. And they're going to say, you know, I need the next Leica camera to be 100% silent. Or this camera is not adequate for my needs because it is not as quiet as a Fuji or a Sony. I think that's the wrong standard to look at because you're looking outside of yourself. You're looking at your gear as being inadequate because you know that there is better gear out there. But for me, the question is not, is there better gear outside of my camera bag? The question is like, is the gear that is in my camera bag good enough to do the work that I need to do? So again, there are definitely people who are shooting in certain situations where the volume of the Leica camera is too loud to photograph in the meeting or wherever they are filming at a TV taping, whatever. The kind of things I shoot, that sound is fine. I don't need a quieter camera than that. Wouldn't mind having one, but it's not a reason for me to upgrade. It doesn't matter what Fuji is doing in terms of a quieter camera. For my needs, the volume of my current cameras is low enough that that's sufficient for me. I see it with dynamic range all the time. People aren't looking at the, on the Leica forum, they'll complain that the dynamic range is not enough. They need the next camera to have better dynamic range. Like, well, how are you deciding that? Are you deciding it because you look at your own work and you say, hey, I can't contain all the whites and blacks that I need to contain. And I know when I first started shooting digital, like when I had a D1X, I used to shoot a lot of hip hop artists at the time and I would say to the artist, don't wear white. Bring whatever you want to bring, just don't wear white. Because I know the white was always going to blow out. I could never get the detail in white. By the time I got a D2X and we're going back, I don't know, this has got to be eight years at least, you could wear all the white you wanted. It didn't matter. The D2X could handle it. I have photographed people wearing white T-shirts against a white background a million times with the D2X and later with the D3X and now with the D810. doesn't matter. Camera handles the dynamic range just fine. But a lot of people who I'm looking at who are writing or saying, writing on forums are going like, I need more, uh, better dynamic range on the sensor. Yeah, but why do you need it? Do you need it because you've looked at a test on, what is that, DxO, I think it's called? You're looking at a test on DxO and you see that there's a camera that scores higher than yours in dynamic range and you want your camera to score as high as that. So you've said, well, my camera needs to have higher dynamic range. I don't really care what your camera scores on dynamic range. It means nothing to me. All I know is what I photograph, and again, if I've got a guy wearing a white shirt on a white background, if I can't handle that in my camera and I'm lighting it with studio lights, then I need a camera with better dynamic range. But if I can handle that, the dynamic range of my cameras is just fine. Again, so I think what we want to do when we're looking at when we need to upgrade or what do we need from the next camera, I think it should be a more internal process. It should not be a matter of knowing uh, this, uh, whatever, Panasonic camera or the new Canon does 4K video, so then you need your next camera to have 4K video. It's a matter of like, do you need 4K video? I personally don't need 4K video. There's nothing that I need in my current workflow that I do with my clients that causes me to want or need 4K video, especially when you consider how much it's going to cost me in storage and downloading and all this other resources that are going to change. So I don't need it. You might. I'm not saying no one needs it. I'm just saying 
I don't need it. And I certainly don't need it because I know your camera has it. If I need it, it's going to be based on my own needs. So I think that's just a, excuse me, a different way to, to frame how you need an upgrade or an improvement that I think not everyone is doing. And it's funny because whenever I'm on a forum, and again, it's really just one forum you find me, the Leica Rumors Forum. It's not a forum. It's like a blog, basically, and you can comment at the bottom, and I jump in there a lot. And the only and, and it's funny because every time someone says they need high, better dynamic range from the camera, I always go, hey, can you post some images? Show me the images where you need better dynamic range than what you're getting from these cameras made in, like, 2014. Show me because I need to see it because I'm looking at it like maybe it's a matter of you're kind of taking a lazy approach to photography. Like, maybe you're photographing landscapes at noon and you're trying to recover like the sunlight that the highlight detail and the shadow detail when in reality you need to be photographing this at a different time of day maybe that's really the problem you don't you're not putting in the work you need to put in to create good images and you're looking for the camera to do it for you you just want insanely high dynamic range so you can blow your highlights or underexpose your shadows and recover every image rather than putting in the work frankly, like I do, by setting up lights and lighting things and controlling shadows with light modifiers or reflectors or whatever, and, you know, creating the images you want rather than expecting the camera to just catch any kind of over and underexposure errors that you're making in parts of your image. So I don't know. That's just my thoughts on uh, when it's time to upgrade. Again, bottom line, look more internally. Look at your camera bag and at your clients, which you need. Stop looking at the numbers of what other cameras have and thinking you need it only because someone else has it okay all right so that's some current thoughts again um hopefully you guys will um you know write some comments on youtube i absolutely love when people make comments on youtube i read every comment i comment back on every single comment so i uh, really appreciate like when people respond and that there's some interaction back and forth with um social media so hopefully um i'll see some of you guys online soon and um if you got some topics you want us to talk about here definitely you know just drop me a note on youtube and we'll try to get to it all right thanks a lot for tuning in bye bye